be jumping to the end of the show here, but this is a very important phenomenon because uh, we, you know, Trump should be in real trouble now. He's being on, as we speak, he's being tried in a court for a very conspicuous case of rape, which was being supported by people who knew all about it. He's got four other crimes. He's never been more popular than he is now. Uh, because people see him as a victim of the system, and of course he's not—he's—he's he's, he's not a victim at all. He inflicted all this on us and on himself. But uh, and the same with uh, Clarence Thomas. Um, it turns out that he's been taking all this money from a super rich um, billionaire, whose father is somebody I wrote about in connection with the Kennedy assassination. And so you would think this would make Clarence Thomas go down in popularity. No, it's made him go up in popularity. And that shows that, you know, in the past, we talked about people power and that the people would be able to solve things. Well, I'll tell you the big difference between the 60s and today. In the 60s, people turned out to rallies and march in the streets because that's where they could only place they could hear the truth against the lies about Vietnam that were in the New York Times and the Washington Post. Well, now everybody's at home with their watching TV and whatever crazy belief you have, there's going to be a channel that strengthens you in that belief. And so, but the, but there's no there's no anti-imperialist anti-capitalist channel. So there's there's that exception no, to the to the cornucopia well, of uh, in well, the U in the U.S. on the in the mainstream media there are small sites on the internet, but in the mainstream corporate like the the news on TV and the newspapers, there's no. Yeah, but that hasn't changed. But what has changed that there are, for the first time, consortium news, uh, covert action magazine, uh, or or even people that are not magazines at all, like the uh, Code Pink. Uh, Code Pink has a very good uh, resolution now calling for a ceasefire in Ukraine, and they can advertise it on the internet. So. <clears throat> There's no reason for people to go in the streets anymore. I mean, it's good. I hope they do, but that's going to be ancillary uh, to the main anti-war effort if there is one. There can be one. You can use the Internet. But uh, right now we're all divided because everybody has their own little channel. And that's a very skillful a use of the Internet by those who control things. Yes. Oleg, you can jump in here. Consortium News, where you, is all, quite a few of these people are from from uh, the major newspapers or the writing there are from major newspaper, but they couldn't write in the major newspaper any longer. Right. Well, it started that way. But Bob Perry was somebody. Yeah. He he. Let's let's do a bit of history here. He and Brian Barger exposed the fact. <laughs> they wrote a long article for, I think, AP, Associated Press, about how the uh, the uh, people supporting the Contras in Nicaragua were trafficking in drugs and the CIA was involved in all this. And the article was killed in AP in English. But somehow it, they had a Spanish uh, thing and it was printed in the Spanish and so it then crept back into public. 
And the, the, the effect of this was that Bob Perry lost his job. He's too good a journalist to be in the main media. Uh, I'm oversimplifying, and he would oh, perhaps yeah, have argued with me a bit because it took a couple of years. But he had got too big for to be a mainstream journalist, and so he started Consortium News. And he's an example of what you're talking about. And I'm I'm not giving a hundred percent vote of approval for Consortium News. I think sometimes even Bob would say things that were so forgiving of Russia that I wondered if he wasn't getting Russian subsidy for for his journal, which wouldn't have surprised me. I could name a journal that in the 80s where the, the man who was editing it was very concerned because he was being told he couldn't print certain things, which suggested that his backers were ultimately uh, east of the Iron Curtain, as we still had it then. That's, that's, you know, we do that to Russia. Russia to do that to us is not surprising. But we have these channels, all of them, and it's both an opportunity and it's also a problem because you can't, it's much harder to get unity now to talk about people. The power of the people is, is kind of an empty phrase in America as we have now. The, the people are going to be very divided on almost anything. People power is what they said in the Philippines to get rid of Marcos, but then it later emerges that national endowment for democracy was yeah was you know midwifing these and things the, and I mean, the Vatican is, and the Vatican. Yeah. Yeah. So so this is they take any any idea that's potentially emancipatory, they can turn into so, uh, it, they can put into the service of despotism. That's well, one of America's hard. main <laughs> uh, uh, skills at this point. But it was good they got rid of Marcus. I mean, Marcus was killing people. Um, oh, he was terrible. But it was but why? You know, why did they do this in the in the eighties and nineties? Why do they make this transition? I, I, and I, I think it's finally, it was a right wing Republican that was sent by uh, Reagan to persuade Marcus to step down. Well, he's a the, he's a middle guy. You mean Dick Luger, right? No, I mean uh, the guy, the senator from Nevada. Oh, I thought it was the, Dick Luger from Indiana that was involved. Well, he with might that. have done it. Well, there might have been more than one, but okay. the, I think the key one. His son is now a run, running in politics in Nevada. It's a Basque name, and I forget it. But, okay. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, but this this is a uh, this this situation of the taking any taking these ideas. I mean, this is what the, the liberatory. This is what happens with the '60s individualism and so on, and uh, you know it turns yeah. into it. What what was political radicalism turns into like radical individualism over time, and this is you know this is a a real a real issue. Yeah. Now, if we get back to this issue of parafascism and how these entities, because you're you're writing about this as being overseas, and I know that you're aware of these other issues, but the same mechanisms are often. I mean, in the U in the U.S. and you were just talking about Otto Skorzeny in 1962. This was because that document. I actually sent that Otto Skorzeny document. Oh, I, we mentioned this and sent it to uh, the woman who was working on the case with um, H.P. Oh. Alberelli before he died. Yeah. And um, but but that was written in 1962. But in 1963, the summer of 1963, JFK on consecutive days gives speeches saying to end the Cold War and end Jim Crow. Right. I mean, this was really remarkable. And this is basically a U.S. president attacking 
I would say he was attacking fas two fascist regimes at once. It was the Cold War, to my mind, I don't, it's only maybe a slight oversimplification to say it was really a, a regime for a disguised fascism. I, I, think, I don't think that the Soviets had any interest in a Cold War. Or, or cutting off trade to the to the West. It was this was done by the U.S. as you were talking about earlier, 1950 NSC 68, uh, establishing the military-industrial complex and and disallowing trade flows between Europe and so on. So Kennedy is talking about ending two fascist regimes just outright. I, I think I, I think this is this this had to be horrifying. If if Otto Skorzeny was meeting with general you know a, a nazi killer uh -huh. the state uses to kill inconvenient political leaders is meeting with two air force generals in 1962 to talk about how kennedy is too friendly to black people and he's he's too friendly to, he's giving away everything to the east and then the next summer he's saying let's end the cold war and let's end jim crow i mean this is the chickens coming home to roost so this is parafascism in the u.s as you said uh, you just, said you said the two assassinations, Lumumba and uh, Hammerskull, but you have to put JFK in there too. I, I yes, you do. Can I just add one other thing? The two speeches. One of them, of course, was very carefully planned. The uh, the the end to the Cold War. We are all mortal. But the other one was in response to, on a few hours' notice, to what was happening in Birmingham, and. <clears throat> Um, I have a book that most people haven't read called Dallas 63, and I point out that uh, in the military were a number of generals and admirals who were overtly fascist. I mean, they wouldn't have, they, they, they were maintaining connections with people in Europe who were fascist, Nazi, and uh, who had a meeting in March in Louisiana where they talked about the have the need to assassinate people in high channels. Now, the other thing that Kennedy did that I think really concerned the Pentagon at a high level was when he realized that to, uh, in the wake of the Cuban Missile Crisis, which terrified everybody, I mean, it's amazing we didn't have nuclear war in. It was a brave low-level Soviet who was giving orders to fire a missile because they thought they were being attacked. And he said, I'm not going to fire this missile until you give me better evidence. And, and if he had fired that missile, if he fired that missile, sorry? It was a torpedo. A torpedo. Yes, thank you for this. We've got the submarine. We've got the maritime warfare expert here to correct us. And uh, he's right. He's right. <laughs> he's right. I was wrong. Yes, it was a torpedo. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.